Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading today is Luke 2, verses 1 to 14. You can find it on page 1027 of the Church Bibles. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading, Jenny, and good morning to you all. It's good to have you here with us this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Pete, and it's my joy to look at Luke 2 with you this morning. We're doing a little series in Luke's Gospel over the next couple of weeks, and do keep your Bibles open at that reading. It's on page 1027, if you just close them in the Church Bibles. And let me pray as we look together at God's Word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for... Uh, your word and for what we read about uh, in Luke 2, about the coming of your son, Jesus, our savior. And I pray that you'd help us in this busy season just to slow down and to ponder the wonder of what this first Christmas means for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1963, Andy Williams first sang that Christmas It's the most wonderful time of the year. And maybe for the kids, it is. That heady blend of school holidays and good food and, of course, presents. What's not to like? But I wonder about the rest of us. As adults, I wonder how we feel about Christmas this year. I came across some stats published by the the Priory Group, who specialize in mental health supports, and apparently... 81% of adults find Christmas stressful. It's been a long year, 
the nights are, are gathering, you in, gathering in, maybe we're tired and we just want to curl up on the sofa and then we have to rush out and do all the shopping for presents and then the wrapping and the cooking and the planning and the traveling and all the politics that comes with family Christmases. No wonder it can be stressful. And then there's the loneliness. 83% of us will feel lonely at some point this Christmas. Maybe because we are alone, or maybe we're in a crowd, and yet we feel unknown by those around us. And of course, it can be at Christmas that we most strongly feel the pain of those we've loved who are no longer with us. And yet, Andy Williams, he was on to something, wasn't he? Because don't we sense that Christmas should be the most wonderful time of the year? Don't we long that it would be? Maybe we see glimpses of it with the family all gathered around and the Christmas tree sparkling in the corner with the, the presents all stacked up underneath the tree. Although in my household, you also hear the sound of the dog drinking out of the uh, water in the Christmas tree stands. Is it just, <laughs> just my dog or do other dogs do that here in the room? It's just my dog. Well, there we go. Well, this morning, as we start a little mini-series in Luke's Gospel, we're going to hear his account of the very first Christmas. And here is heaven's verdict on Christmas. Verse 10 from our reading. But the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Joy is our theme this morning. Great joy. Not the kind of fleeting joy we might get by escaping all our ways and problems into a, a brief bubble of festive fun. And it's also joy for all peoples, including the anxious and the stressed and the brokenhearted and the lost and the lonely. A joy that fulfills our longings that Christmas would indeed be the most wonderful time of the year. These are familiar words. They are words that we hear read every year at our carol services. And yet this morning we had the chance just to slow down and to ponder the sheer wonder of what Luke tells us about this very first Christmas. Two points this morning. The first is this. The true king has come. As Luke picks up his account at the birth of Jesus, there is one king who very much looks like he's in charge. Verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is a big deal. At this point in history, the Roman Empire was the biggest human influence in the world. And Caesar Augustus had enough power that he could be sat on his throne in his palace in Rome and issue a decree that impacted millions of people right across the Roman Empire. The goal of this census was not love and kindness. The desire was not to get a better grasp of how social trends were being transformed across the empire to better produce policies to serve the people. No, the, the goal of this census was control. This was all about how to maximize the tax revenues from across the empire to tighten the iron fist of Rome on the empire. 
And so when Caesar speaks a word in Rome across an area covering thousands of miles, we read in verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. This is power, isn't it? Human control on a, on a vast scale. And for us today, we're not governed by the Roman Empire anymore, but we are still under the control and influence of other human authorities. Our employer, who has the power to control when and how we work. Our government, who sets the levels of tax and the laws that we have to obey in this country. And part of the sorrow of living in this broken world is to live under the rule and reign of human leaders who don't rule well. Perhaps because of human selfishness, using power for personal gain. And of course, isn't that so often why war comes to us? Or perhaps it's just because of the human limitations of our human rulers. It's been tough to watch the COVID inquiry taking place at the moment. And in the last few weeks, various high-profile leaders have given evidence about what happened in the government's response to COVID. And we've been hearing again and again how Decisions and limitations and failings of human leaders has caused so much heartache and pain in this country. At the end of Luke 1, Zechariah sung about a people living in darkness. And part of the darkness of the human experience is living under the rule and reign of human leaders when humans get it wrong. But as Luke's account continues, we begin to realize that the Caesar in Rome is not the true king. Look at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now we just need to pause here for a moment to consider the context of these words. The greatest king in the history of Israel to this date was King David, and he ruled around about a thousand years before the days of Luke. But even the great King David was a flawed king. He failed in many ways. But the Lord made a promise to David that one day, one of his descendants would sit on his throne and would rule forever. You can read about that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. Later on, another Old Testament figure, Micah, prophesied that when that ruler came, he would come from the town of Bethlehem, which happened to be David's hometown. And so for hundreds of years, the people of God had waited and wondered, when would this eternal king come and sit on the throne, as the prophet said he would from the Old Testament? Well, verse 4 should grab our attention. A descendant of David is now back in the town of David. And then things get even more interesting when we get to verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And then sure enough, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. It's all lining up. All these ancient prophecies and promises are coming to pass. And as a final confirmation, the angel from heaven declares, verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. The title Messiah means God's anointed one, a title often used to refer to this special longed-for king to come. And the message is very clear. In Jesus, the true king has come. And I love what Luke does in his account because he doesn't just tell us that the king has come. He shows us that the king has come. You see, Caesar Augustus thought he was strengthening his grip on power by ordering this census. But in fact, his decree was the very means by which the sovereign God of heaven got everything lined up so that his plans came to pass. That Mary was in the right place at the right time to give birth to Jesus in just the right way to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. You see, Caesar Augustus is the unwitting agent through whom the sovereign Lord brings about his unstoppable plans in the world. When Caesar speaks from his throne in Rome, he can control a census. When God speaks from heaven, he controls all of history. Human leaders struggle to know the future or control the future. Just think of HS2. But across the centuries, across empires, across rule and reign and all human plans and purposes, a divine hand sovereignly at work and in complete control. The baby born in Bethlehem would grow up to be a man who died on a cross, but he would be raised on the third day by his Father in heaven, and he's now ascended back in heaven and sat on the throne of glory. And from that throne today, he rules and reigns over this entire world and forever. And in this season of Advent, we look forward to his return when his rule and reign is made known in a, in a new invisible way that we cannot see yet, but is nonetheless true now. And as we wait for his return, this picture of divine power in Luke 2 helps us to grasp something of the extent of his kingly rule and reign in this world. He is greater than any human throne of power. He is able to subvert and transform any human plan to bring about his own good plans and purposes in the world. And when he speaks a word, it always comes to pass. The risen Lord Jesus is ruling over all peoples, all places, all things, past, present, and future. At the beginning of his gospel, Luke tells Theophilus that he has written his account of Jesus to help Theophilus and us today to have confidence in the things that we've heard about Jesus. And here in Luke 2, in part, it helps us to see the history of the events. These are real people and real details. This is no fairy tale. But more than that, Luke is writing to give us confidence that there is someone sat on the throne of this world ruling over the nations. The true king has come. And so whatever our Christmas story is for us this year, 
in the joys and in the tears, in the hopes and fears, please know that our world is in control. In the big things, that the people who govern us, our politicians, our bosses, and so on, their plans are always under the sovereign, ultimate control of the Lord Jesus. And he can use even misplaced plans, he can use them for good ultimately in the end, as he did here in Luke 2. But also in the small things of our lives, even in our Christmas plannings, the daily stresses and strains that make us feel anxious and overwhelmed, in all these things we can bring our needs and our concerns to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he has all the power and authority in the world to support us and sustain us until he returns. This is in part why the angels say that their message about Jesus is good news. It brings great joy for all people. The true king has come. But even as I talk about the kingship of Jesus, I wonder if some of us here in the room feel a bit uncomfortable, even nervous about the thought of that kind of power at least unleashed in our world. After all, we do see people with lots of power misusing their power. And the shepherds, when they see the angels, they're terrified as well. But of course, their fear gives way to joy. And I think Luke wants us also to see why the coming of this king is a reason for great joy. And that takes us to our second point. The true king has come, second, to serve and to save. Prince George is third in line to the British throne. When he was born back in July 2013, the good and great of the world lined up to pass on their best wishes to the new prince and to the proud parents. I wonder if you can remember the scenes of the rows and rows of media and correspondence lined up outside St. Mary's Hospital, desperate for a glimpse of the new prince as he came out to meet the world. Well... Here in Luke 2, we have another account of a royal birth, but the circumstances couldn't be more different. Verse 7, there's no fancy hospital, not even a guest room, just a manger. And verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now, angels get, sorry, um, shepherds, I should say. Uh, shepherds get a, a pretty good press in the Bible. Uh, they come across as being, you know, uh, safe and caring and dependable. But they are the working class. They would have been uneducated. They are not the elite of Jewish society. And yet it is to shepherds that God chose to announce to the world the coming of his true king. And to help them believe, look at what the angel says to them in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I take it that there were lots of babies being born in Bethlehem at this time, not least because the town was rammed because of the census, right? And so the sign that the shepherds 
get to convince them that the true king has come is not that they'll find a baby, but it's where they find the baby. They're going to find him in a manger. I've already mentioned our dog, and uh, without wanting to put too fine a point on it, her dog bull is not exactly the the sweetest smelling item in our kitchen. It it very much stays on the floor. And um, if we ever have young kids around to visit, which we often do, and they are maybe crawling around the kitchen or exploring, we we tend to hide the dog bull somewhere they can't find it because it is pretty yucky and smelly. It's hard to imagine then a feeding trough for farm animals, just how yucky and smelly a manger would have been. And yet, it is into a manger that Jesus is placed. The true king of all glory in a manger. We can hear it again and again and again, and yet every time, it is almost beyond comprehension that that is what he did when he came. And yet the angels are showing the shepherds and us the kind of king Jesus is. A king who came to serve. It's the season of the Christmas TV adverts. I wonder if you've seen the one by M&S this year. Uh, There are various famous people celebrating Christmas, and because it's Christmas, they're having to do things they don't really want to do. So um, one person is having to decorate a tree with stuff they don't want to decorate it with. Another person's having to play really silly Christmas games, and they're kind of really hating the games. Another person's confronted with a pile of Christmas cards, and they they don't want to write the cards. And eventually, people just crack And they say, enough is enough, and they rebel against the Christmas traditions. Um, One person is seen wielding a a roll of Christmas wrapping paper, and they use it as a baseball bat to whack a Christmas decoration out of sight. And the final scene is, is of someone carrying a pile of Christmas crackers and crowns and heaving it into a garden shredder and destroying the lot. And the voiceover pulls things all together with this line. This Christmas, do only what you love. It's kind of tempting, isn't it? Uh, Lorna and I have sometimes thought about jetting off to the Caribbean for the whole of December um, and only coming back when the chaos of Christmas is over. Lovely, wouldn't it? And yet here at the first Christmas, the attitude could not have been more different. The sun had it all in heaven. All glory and honor and praise, all status above the angels with that perfect relationship with his his heavenly father. And yet at this first Christmas, the son enters into our world and he took on to himself a human nature in the person of Jesus. The hands that flung the stars into space now waving helplessly from the manger. This is the opposite of an M&S Christmas. Instead of do only what you love, this is the most extraordinary act of love for others. And so from the very first moments of his life on earth, the scene is set, the tone is established. Jesus absolutely is the true king, but he has come to serve. 
And of course, this baby will grow up into a man, and the shame of the manger will give way to the shame of the cross. This is what King Jesus has come to do, to serve and to save. Because the truth is, we've all done Christmas the M&S way, haven't we? In fact, not just Christmas, but our whole lives, we've done things that only we want to do. Ever since Genesis 3, in the first sin, self-centeredness, rebellion against God, and that's why we need saving. Here is the heart of Jesus. From heaven, he looks down and he sees our greatest need. And rather than turning away, repelled by what he sees, and he, he could have done that, he draws near to us and he comes as a servant, lying as a baby in a manger and coming as a man to die on the cross for us. This is his heart for us. And so again, whatever our Christmas story is this year, whether it is full of joys or tears, know that Jesus cares for you. He loves you. He has come to serve you. And his heart is moved by our need. We see the evidence in his life on earth. We can bring our deepest worries, our greatest concerns to him knowing that his posture towards us is all love, all kindness, all service. And we can bring our deepest needs, our sin and our guilt to him, knowing that we'll receive not condemnation, but salvation through his death on the cross. I love what happens next. As soon as the angels tell the shepherds to find the true king lying in a manger, verse 13 Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. King Jesus absolutely always deserves our praise and worship. But when we realize that he's a king who has come not to lord it over us but to serve us, it is at this point that heaven cannot stay quiet. And the angels burst out in a song of praise for our true king who came to serve and save. It turns out Andy Williams was right. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, enjoy the food and the fun, the festivities, the family. But more than that, if we can, stop and savor, savor the wonderful news that in a chaotic, broken, and often sad world, the true king has come to serve and save us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this news that is the cause of great joy for all people. And I pray that you'd help us to believe the truth about Jesus our lives are under his good control, that we can trust him for our futures, and that his heart for us is one of love and kindness. 
And I pray that in both the joys of this season and in the tears, you'd help our hearts to be drawn to Christ in love and in faith in him. And in his name we pray. Amen.